Hey guys, it's Brian Underwood. Um, hopefully you all have been enjoying the podcast. We have some really cool people coming up uh, for you all to hear from. And then I'm also going to get back on kind of some rants. Hopefully you guys uh, will enjoy it. Uh, this podcast coming up is with Dr. Amen, Daniel Amen. Uh, if you haven't heard of Dr. Amen, this is you're in for a real treat. Uh, I remember hearing about him for the first time from Dr. Ryan Lowry. Um, and he's just an amazing individual doing some amazing things uh, when it comes to helping people change their lives through their brains. Um, he has clinics throughout the United States, and he uh, focuses on what's inside the brain, what's going on inside your brain uh, before adjusting behavior because you have to know, um, you know, you have to have visibility in order to see what's going on. Uh, and I know that uh, I've had several friends go through his clinic. They've been absolutely blown away with their findings. Um, and so hopefully you enjoy this. He has a new book uh, out right now called The End of Mental Illness. You've got to check it out. Uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this. And again, uh, please do me a favor. Please leave a review. It really, really helps. Uh, truly grateful for all of you all supporting and plugging in. Uh, we want to bring you more and more value. And so with that being said, uh, always dare to be yourself. Talk to you soon. Be you. If you don't mind, share with... Um Everyone, just a little bit about the uh, Amen Clinics, uh, kind of what your passions are and what you all do at the uh, Amen Clinics and, and what, I know that you practice as a psychiatrist and a brain disorder specialist, but I think for some people, they might not know what that means. So I don't know if you mind kind of give them just a little background and, and perspective. So I'm a psychiatrist, as you mentioned, but a very different kind of psychiatrist we actually think you should look at the brain before you go about changing it. So for the last 30 years, Amen Clinics has built the world's largest database of brain scans related to behavior. We've done about 170,000 scans on people from 155 countries. And the imaging just changed everything for us, what we realize that if you struggle with ADD, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and addiction, that the first thing to do is to actually start to understand and optimize the physical functioning of your brain. So I actually don't even like the term psychiatrist because nobody really wants to see one. No one wants to be labeled as defective or abnormal, but absolutely everybody wants a better brain. And with a better brain always comes a better life. So people who come to see us, we see little kids and old people. Our goal is to understand and optimize your brain. And we have some of the highest success rates of anyone that publishes them. We're pretty excited about that. But we get a roadmap, the image, and then we go about optimizing your brain in the most natural ways possible. Awesome. So what, of, uh, what are some of the things that you all do to optimize the brain? I know it's always tailored per the person, uh, but what are some of the strategies around that? So the big idea in my new book, uh, The End of Mental Illness, is if you want to keep your brain healthy, or rescue it if it's headed to the bad place. 
you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And we know what they are, and we have a mnemonic called bright minds. So for example, B is for blood flow. Low blood flow is the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease, but it's also associated with depression, ADHD, and schizophrenia. So whatever we can do to enhance blood flow, so exercise, would be there. Certain supplements, I'm a fan of ginkgo because it increases blood flow to the brain. Certain foods like oregano, cayenne pepper, rosemary, beets, um, and we are always thinking, yes, we'll use medicine if we need to, but it's just not the first thing we think about. Your lifestyle either is making your brain better or worse. The D in bright minds is diabetes. People who have high blood sugar and or they're overweight or obese. I published two studies that show as your weight goes up, the actual physical size and function of your brain goes down, which should scare the fat off anyone. Right. And so getting people physically healthy is critical for their mental health as well. Um, we often see what we do in these four big circles. We look at your biology, that's where Bright Minds fits. Also your psychology, which is how do you think. We teach people to kill the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal their happiness. There's also a social circle. You become like the people you hang out with. The fastest way to get healthy is to find the healthiest person you can stand and spend as much time around him or her as possible. And then there's a spiritual circle, which most psychiatrists would never touch. But for us, it's so important. Why do you care? Why do you think you're on the planet? What's your deepest sense of meaning and purpose? Because without that, it's really hard to stay on a brain health program. No, that's awesome. I um, Two things I want to talk about. Uh, my dad just recently passed. Uh, he had a bout with Alzheimer's for, we really saw it progressing probably six years ago. But now that when you reflect back, you see all these signs, right? Like even before then. And it's kind of funny because when we uh, commercialized our ketone product, which uh, we like to acknowledge as the first exogenous ketone product, truly commercialized, but it was one of the first, if not, um, the whole conversation of Alzheimer's kind of came around it, but he was kind of too far into it, if that makes sense. Uh, I, remember, I don't know if you know Dr. Mary Newport or not. Uh, I do. She, uh, she's become a good friend. First time I heard her speak, her husband had just passed of Alzheimer's, so I had this emotional connection with her. But I, I don't believe there's any coincidences because my dad was my hero. And to see him to go through that disease, it, it, if you've never experienced it, you don't have the awareness of that being stolen from you, like your memories. And, you know, so I, uh, uh, so it actually kind of anchored more of my passion to our company, uh, being able to maybe not cure Alzheimer's, but if you can give someone because of preventative or taking precautions, I'd give anything to have one. I used to always say, I'd give anything to have one healthy week, healthier week or slow down the process, you know, a higher quality week with my dad. And, um, but that kind of brings me to the point. What was it that uh, really, when you talk about the spiritual or while we're on this planet, what is it that triggered your passion to kind of really immerse yourself in this, these, these studies and, and um, practices? 
Um, so we should talk about preventing Alzheimer's. I have a book called Memory Rescue, and it's actually the same program. Is if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat these 11 major risk factors. And even people who are headed into Alzheimer's, the scans we do can actually tell 10 to 20 years before you have any symptoms if you're headed that way. And so the G in Bright Minds is genetics. If you have it in your family, that should clearly be a wake-up call um, to get serious about prevention as soon as possible. Um, for me, uh, when I turned 18, um, at a very low draft number, it was 1972, Vietnam was still going on. And so it was basically by, and I became an infantry medic where my love of medicine was born. But about a year into it, I realized I didn't like being shot at. You know, some people it's like, they're okay with it. I just never got okay with it. So I got myself retrained as an x-ray technician, developed a passion for imaging. And then when I got out of the army and went to medical school, someone I loved tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. And I came to realize if he helped her, it just wouldn't help her. It would help her children. It would help her grandchildren. And I really saw psychiatry as a profession that could help generations of people. But I fell in love with the only medical profession that never looks at the organ it treats. And my dad, who recently passed as well, um, would tell you I was sort of a pain in the neck as a teenager because I just never accepted authority because it was authority. So when I fell in love with psychiatry but realized they didn't look, and with my imaging background, I'm like, no, we're going to change this. We need to look at what we do before we do it. And the first four years I did, I got no end of grief from my colleagues. And, and that hurt me because um, I didn't like go to medical school to have people calling me bad names. But then in 1995, I had a, a call from my um, sister-in-law who told me my nine-year-old nephew had attacked a little girl on the baseball field that day. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, what else is going on? And she said, Danny's different. He's mean. He doesn't smile anymore. I went into his room today and found him drawing pictures. One of them, he was hanging from a tree in a suicide attempt. The other picture, he was shooting other children. And by then, I'd already scanned a number of violent teenagers. And I thought maybe he had a problem in a part of his brain called his left temporal lobe. Um, turned out he had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying that part of his brain. And when we took it out, his behavior completely went back to normal. And Andrew's my passion story because after that happened with someone I cared about so deeply, I'm like, if you don't look, you don't know. And that really began the crusade that I've been on for 25 years to change my profession, to be more medical. And because, you know, the whole idea behind the end of mental illness, these things aren't mental, they're brain. Um, get your brain right and your mind will follow. And the end of mental illness begins with a revolution in brain health. So that's, 
you know, why I wanted to come on your podcast, because I'm recruiting revolutionaries that <laughs> we have to change this. And, you know, if you just think about it, who's dying from COVID-19? It's people who are diabetic, people who are overweight, people who have hypertension. And why does the U.S. have 4% of the world's population, but 34% of the world's cases? It's because we're sick as a society, and we need a revolution both in physical and mental health. And I know you're passionate about that as well. For sure. I mean, uh, and I know that people would love to hear this message, and, and um, we have a lot of incredible people in our community. Uh, two things that I'd love to uh, make sure that they get your book. I mean, one of the biggest things to me, like I just shared from what we've done with our company that I've seen, a lot of people think ketones, they automatically associate with weight loss. But the greatest impact that we've seen anecdotally and in the research that we're funding and seeing is in the brain is cognitively. Um, and so that's kind of like spurred a passion of mine, but, uh, the end of mental illness, uh, I'd love to do something, uh, where can they get that? And I'd, I'd love to do something maybe more with you. We have a lot of, uh, educational, um, events, which obviously because of COVID we're, we're getting ready to construct a virtual event, um, where we have thousands of people come in and what we've done is it's not a, it's not an event to sell our product. We actually just bring in thought leaders like yourself to educate people on, to give them more awareness of what's going on in health and optimization and the medical side of the world or nutrition. Uh, and it's it's been very advantageous. So we've always kind of led with education because I think that for the masses, you know, I don't want to get into a politics conversation, but the masses, they don't know what they don't know. But once you educate them and give them a new lens to look through and a new level of awareness, kind of like scanning the brain, they can never go back, right? Once someone knows that there's some of these strategies to prevent, uh, create more wellness, and even the um, component, like a question I had was, you know, can anyone get brain scans through your clinics? Like, you know, because I have kids now, right? So I have a six-year-old, a seven and a half, and a 13. And I was just talking a few minutes ago, uh, my business partner had great, he has a kid that they thought was, they didn't know if he was Asperger's or borderline, he was very slow developing. And um, and he had the means to try a lot of different therapies. Uh, the one that they got the biggest results from was, uh, I don't know the technical name of it, but they flew every other week to Las Vegas to get some type of auditory uh, therapy. Oh, it's called the Tomatis method. That's really good. Um, can I tell you my favorite ketogenic uh, story? Yes. So I've been a fan of the ketogenic diet to help people with seizures for many years. And um, goodness, I guess it's about nine years ago that I'm in Boston giving a lecture. And I get a call from my daughter, my nine, my five month old granddaughter starts having wicked seizures. And um, in one day she had 160 of them and I'm horrified. She goes to the emergency room. She has an EEG. They diagnose her with something called West syndrome. And the prognosis is just terrible that 30% of these kids die before they're three. The neurologist said she may never walk again. 
he wanted to put her on a medicine called ACTH that was $26,000 a dose. And I get on the phone with him and I'm like, well, have you thought about the ketogenic diet? And he's like, oh, there's no science behind that. And my wife says the relationship with the neurologist for me went sour when I asked him if he knew how to read. I'm like, you're kidding, right? You know, there's 70 studies with the ketogenic diet for seizure in kids, started at the Mayo Clinic. Most of the studies are done at Johns Hopkins, this little tiny hospital in Baltimore. And he's like, well, if you want to do that, I won't be your doctor. I'm like, are you kidding? You're fired. It's like you forgot informed consent. It's not your job to make the decision. It's our job to make the decision. Anyway, she went on the ketogenic diet, lost her seizures. And, um, you know, I have this great picture of her when she's three running to preschool. And, uh, you know, food is medicine or it's poison. And um, ketones, in, in my mind, can have a healing effect. You know, maybe not for everyone, but I've certainly seen um, cases like Emmys that can make just a huge positive difference. And it's, you know, I think it was just another important tool in the toolbox. For sure. Yeah. And it's it's all synergistically working together and uh, creating more wellness. I know that uh, um, I'm anxious. Obviously, I have a bigger level of awareness with children now because of my own kids. I was going to say, you know, we, we're seeing my six-year-old. He's doing... Um, He's very, uh, he's very sensory. And so I was just talking to a friend in Dallas. I was in Dallas two days ago and they said, yeah, you should probably get an OT. They think it could really help because he's just six. Right. But that's why I was asking you, I don't know if you all do brain scans on, on children. Um, but so I, our youngest I, is nine months. Our oldest is 105. Um, so we do a lot of kids and many kids have sensory integration issues and OT can help certain supplements to calm down their brain. On scans, we see the top back part of their brain called the parietal lobes. It's your sensory brain works too hard. And so they hate seams on clothes or tags in clothes and um, balancing their brain is so important. Yeah, I'd love, and I know that you wrote a book uh, for children, uh, Captain Snout and the Superpower Questions. Yeah, it teaches kids how to kill the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal their happiness. Because, you know, we're always thinking in these four circles, you know, what's the biological piece, Um, it's the psychological piece, the social and the spiritual piece. So we have strategies to help all of those. And if kids tend to be anxious, And, you know, baseline anxiety in children has gone up 30% since the pandemic started. But having simple tools to calm themselves down and basically not believe every scary thought they have uh, is really important. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm going to pick it up. I didn't... uh... I didn't know that you had that. So what? Uh, so share with us in your research and work, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, which when we started our company, my entire goal was to lead through education. So not become a sales company, but if you educate people, you make them aware, they become buyers. You don't become the seller, if that makes sense, right? Um, and so I really sought out 
educators and, and specialists and researchers. And it's funny because every single one of them said the same thing that in academia, it's like everyone's fighting each other instead of working together. Like everyone's trying to debunk someone's and you just alluded to that, right? When you first started coming out, um, you, you, but my, my question is more related to business because a lot of entrepreneurs are listening is, uh, but I think anytime you're, you're, you're going for something that you're passionate about, you're, you're trying to make an impact, you can expect opposition. You can expect failure or setbacks or people trying to stop you. But I, I would just um, love to ask you like, you know, in over your course of really innovating and doing your research and your work, what are some uh, failures or setbacks that you've had to overcome to become um, you know, or to arrive where you're at. And you wouldn't have arrived there if you hadn't have had those trials or tribulations, do you think? Well, I had no idea that when you do something new and cool that it's going to cause jealousy and hatred. I had no idea. I'm just like, hey, look at this cool new thing. And so if you're, the brain doesn't like change. And so if you're going to do something new, just expect it um, and then pay attention to useful criticism. That's important. And then block the other people. So um, it's sort of like who's running for president. 40% of people are always going to vote for the Democrat and 40% of people are always going to vote for the Republican. And so just know there are going to be some people you are not going to win over. And so don't try, but it's that middle group that you really can influence and you do it through good science and stories. And so when I tell Andrew's story or I tell Emmy's story, the people really grab onto this idea, how do you know unless you look? And natural ways to heal the brain. So if you're going to do something spectacular, you have to have your own passion story that helps you deal with the haters. And you know, now with the online world, haters are everywhere. Just expect them and uh, do what you are put on the earth to do. I love that. And I know that um, it's super insightful. I mean, we do a lot of training for leadership. And one of the things is, is talking about the power of stories and the relatability. I notice uh, through the podcast, every time I ask you, you went right to a story so people could relate to the point you're trying to make. And I think that's a great lesson for everyone to take away. Um, it's the best way to relate relate and relatability. So uh, two quick questions in closing. And that is, um, you know, what are some of your uh, the word hack is a is a big term nowadays, right? Like a biohack. But what are some personal biohacks that uh, that you utilize that have been effective for you to to maintain your physical and mental performance? So I think of them as tiny habits. You know, what are the smallest things I do every day that make the biggest difference? So when I open my eyes in the morning, I say to myself, "Today is going to be a great day." And then my unconscious mind will find what I'm looking forward to in the day. And that's happened every day during the pandemic. When I go to bed at night, I say a prayer. And then I just start reviewing in my mind what went well today. Because it actually sets my dreams up to be more positive. And my dad died about three weeks ago and it was a terrible day and I was taking him to the doctor and I got a call from my mom that he had stopped breathing and I called 911 and all of that. But even that day when I 
closed my eyes. I went, what went well today? And there were so many things from how I was able to support my mom to how my siblings got involved to the thousand texts I got from, you know, people who love my dad and love me. And it's these little tiny discipline habits where, and most people think of, you know, disciplining their bodies, but very few people actually think of disciplining their mind that whenever I feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, I write down what I'm thinking. And then I just ask myself, is that true? That's what Captain Snout teaches kids to do. And then one other tiny habit, I think this is the mother of tiny habits. Um, when I go to do anything in my day, I just ask myself, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if I love myself, I choose what's good for it. Not because I should, but because I love myself. Because with a better brain always comes a better life. I love that. I love it. Um, if you don't mind me asking this is a personal question, my dad just passed as well about three weeks ago. What what was the date that your dad passed? Oh, oh goodness. What was it? It was May um, 12th. Okay. It was, it was, my, my dad was in April. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, as when you said that, we both – very close timing. Um, well, that – that is uh, the the uh, last question is some of the uh, emerging um, research or studies or in the area of brain health that you're most excited about or the newest findings that you're really intrigued about. I love the research on saffron. So um, we actually make something called happy saffron. And I got um, so saffron is the world's most expensive spice. But it's actually been studied for Alzheimer's disease, been studied for depression, studied for sexual enhancement uh, and PMS. And I've prescribed serotonin drugs for a long time, and they may help depression, but they almost 60% of the time, they'll decrease someone's sexual desire. And I just, before we got on, got a testimonial. Someone said, happy saffron Viagra for women. <laughs> I was so excited about natural ways to heal the brain. So things like ketones, things like saffron. Um, that just excites me that, you know, as we go and look for the right treatment for COVID-19 or the vaccine that actually may never come, right? We still don't have a vaccine for AIDS. That um, your best defense against this pandemic is your immune system. And so whatever you can do to keep it healthy. Awesome. I'm excited about that. Saffron, where, does saffron have to be prescribed? No, it's a supplement. And it's, um, you know, red and it has this great color. Um, we make it. I have a company called BrainMD that is our supplement arm. Um, other companies make it as well. Awesome. I'm going to have to try some. So I can just go to BrainMD and buy it? BrainMD.com, right. Awesome. And then the end of mental illness, um, it's out. Can, they pick, can people pick it up on Amazon? 
they can, or barnesandnoble.com or anywhere great books are sold. Hopefully, bookstores will start opening back up soon. Okay, excellent. I love it. Uh, appreciate you being on. Uh, Dr. Amen. I can't wait to read the end of mental illness, and I'm definitely getting uh, Captain Snout so, uh, for our kids. So I appreciate Good. it. I'll see you soon for sure. All right. Take, All right, take care. care. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye.